Whoa, I don't think I even want to hear your story. All of you must hear the Scarlet Spider story. My name is Ben Riley. I'm related to this reality's Peter Parker. How? I'm his clone. Or maybe he's my clone. We're not sure. I'm the real Spider-Man. I don't know what kind of mind game this is, but I'm the real Spider-Man. The real Peter Parker. You see? I'm really, clones. I thought I was that clone. I tried to stay out of Peter's life by taking on a new identity. I dyed my hair and changed my name to Ben Riley. When I became a costume hero of the Scarlet Spider, it really made him angry. But the next big blow came from Dr. Kurt Connors. He discovered that, according to our genetic structures, it might be Peter who was the clone, not me. That news pushed Peter Parker over the edge. Now he hated me with a passion. This is starting to sound like a bad comic book plot. It gets worse. Why didn't you just tell me I was a clone? The cloning process has proven unstable. You're coming apart. Welcome back, Clonehead. I'm Zach Joyner, your friendly neighborhood host of the Clone Saga Chronicles podcast and the webmaster of Spidey-Dude.com and Grand Poobah of the Spidey Dude Radio Network. This particular episode, we're going to be covering carrion and the carrion virus. That is the subject of this particular episode. We're going to start with Spectacular Spider-Man. We're going to talk about, I'm just going to breeze through a lot of this. Uh, I'm going to break it down by story arc. So we're going to start with Peter Parker's Spectacular Spider-Man number 25, through 31 we're going to talk about the carrion character in that one then we're going to then we're going to move on to malcolm mcbride malcolm mcbride's first appearance was uh spectacular spider-man number 149 and then he showed up in issues 162 and 163 he then also showed up in the maximum carnage event and if you've been part of the maximum carnage event you would know that it basically sucked so I'm going to gloss over everything except for the fact that what he did in Maximum Carnage. So uh, then we'll talk about the Shrieking story arc, and then we'll kind of I'll touch a little bit about what actually happened in Clone Saga and stuff like that. Uh, I did talk about Dead Man's Hand, so I'll talk about it again this particular episode, go a little bit more in detail as to what's going on. Uh, talk a little bit about the sentient carrion. So there's been four carrion characters. There's the original carrion. There's the second carrion, which was Malcolm McBride. There was the third carrion, which was the uh, carrion from Dead Man's Hand. And then the fourth carrion is a sentient version of carrion that was created by Miles Warren during the Superior Spider-Man era. So we'll talk about carrion. We'll talk. Uh, we'll talk about his appearances, and we'll go from there. Um, so I'm going to start with kind of briefly giving an overview of the spectacular Spider-Man uh, story arc, the first one, uh, issues 25 through 31. Okay, so the way they used to write stuff, I'm gonna give, a, I'm gonna do the synopsis right quick, and then I'll get into my thoughts about it. Okay, so basically, issue 25, Carrion shows up, tries to get the Magia uh, to, you know, basic. He wants to basically use the Magia as leverage to bring Spider-Man to justice because of some sort of injustice. Uh, Magia kind of sees how powerful he is. We get a showcase of some of Carrion's power, such as telepathy, such as his crimson dust and his ability to levitate and his super strength. And uh, Maggie is like, we don't want nothing to do with this. Well, throughout the issue, uh, the Mass Marauder shows up. Uh, blind Spider-Man. Spider-Man tries to has to overcome the Mass Marauder. It's a really, really uh, intense story arc. Very, very good story arc by uh, by Bill Mantlo. Uh, but really, Carrion's kind of this background character. Carrion shows up at Peter's apartment, trashes his apartment, says the dead walk. Then he attacks Hector, who is the White Tiger. You know, ashes to ashes, dust to dust. So... Basically, it sets up this big climactic like fight between. Uh, there's really two fights. There's the fight between uh, between Carrion initially and Peter Parker. Peter Parker is kind of having to fight Carrion uh, as Peter Parker, and he basically Carrion uh, reveals to him that he knows that Peter Parker's Spider-Man. So Peter Parker doesn't have to have any pretense, but Peter's still recovering from being blinded temporarily. So Carrion uh, gets him in his clutches. And they continue to fight. Well, uh, Carrion's lackey starts that uh, we get revealed that it was this this character that basically discovers the uh, the clone of Carrion, and Carrion basically reveals himself to be a clone of Miles Warren, who has a lot of the memories of Miles Warren, but 
he's also well aware that he's a clone of Miles Warren. So basically, he stayed in the in the stasis tube too long, and died. So he is the living decay. So that's why he has the, set, the specific set of powers and stuff like that. His death touch and stuff like that. So uh, he also reveals he has telepathy. So he could. So Peter basically, we get to issue you know thirty one. And Peter is strapped to a table, and he extracts a little bit of Peter's DNA and puts it into the spider amoeba. And he's going to use the spider amoeba, clone amoeba, to try to kill Spider-Man. And meanwhile, the White Tiger is fighting the lackey of Carrion and beats him, right? Well, the lackey shows up, and he tries to, you know, he gets crossways with Carrion. He throws the crimson dust. He dies, right? And so the, the amoeba starts enveloping into Carrion, and it basically absorbs Carrion's essence and dies. So the amoeba dies, Carrion dies, and we never see him again. Flash forward to the 1980s. So Jerry Conway hated the fact that he brought clones into the Spider-Man universe, so he decided to do an issue called uh, Issue 8 of Spectacular Spider-Man, the annual. Is annual 8 of the, of the Spectacular Spider-Man annual. Basically, where the High Evolutionary shows up and says, Everything you know is a lie! Which we know, thanks to to Scarlet Spider Unlimited number one, was basically all a diversionary tactic. So, basically, Malcolm McBride, the question of Carrion starts to show up. So, uh, Spectacular Spider-Man 149 deals with that question of Carrion. And so, we'll get to that in a second, but let me kind of talk about the original Carrion storyline. Uh, Jim Mooney and Bill Mantlow are the are the creative team. Uh, Jim Mooney did the artwork. I'm telling you right now, this is a very very compelling era of Spider-Man. Uh, this early days of Spectacular, Spectacular is still trying to find its way, right? And you you had Spectacular. Eventually, you had Marvel Team Up, and then you had Amazing Spider-Man. Uh, those were the three titles, and, the, and Marvel Team Up was replaced by Web of Spider-Man. And then we ended up having Adjectiveless Spider-Man with Todd McFarlane. And then we had Spider-Man Unlimited, which we'll get to in a minute. But uh, the artwork's very strong. The characterization's very strong. I love the characterization of Mary Jane. She's very proactive. This is right, this is still, I think, a little before Mary Jane's revealed that she knows that Peter Parker's Spider-Man. So in the context of like reading it with, through today's eyes, you know, Mary Jane instantly leaps into Peter's arms because Mary Jane legitimately was worried about Spider-Man. Uh, I love the fact that you have Flash Thompson, you know, keeps, you know, seeing uh, uh, Peter Parker in trouble and trouble keeps finding him. Uh, the artwork is really good, very dynamic. And the way that these stories are written is very old school. If you if you read like amazing, like the original Clone Saga trade, you'll see that like Jackal is kind of this background character throughout Jerry Conway's run. And it takes a while for the story to build. And it's, it's the same vein in this Carrion story arc. This Carrion story arc is basically, yeah, it covers five issues, but really, I mean, he's a background character until like the last three or four, right? You know, it starts in 25, it ends in, in 31, but like twenty, like 30 and 31 is really where the, the action really is. And so it's it's a story that builds over time, and it's, it's I, I kind of get this vibe with the Spencer run. It's like, you, you start seeding stories, you know, uh, over time, and, and you start doing stories over time, and you start building. Uh, this is something that Slot tried to do, and I, it, you saw it a little bit more with his with his original run on with the. I, I kind of put Slot's run into like three eras. There's the brand new day era, which was you know his time from 140, 546 all the way through uh, you know till he came on the title with the uh, six forty seven. Then you got the big time era which I consider is basically everything up until uh, ASM 700. And then you got the uh, Superior Era, and then you got the Parker Industries Era. So, which is, you know, so there's four eras, really, of, of, of Dan Slott. I, you know, there's... Writers try to sit there and seed stories, you know, along the way. Sometimes they do it well, sometimes they don't. In this case, you know, Carrion was a threat because he's sitting there just doing, he's just, he's, he's getting to the Peter Parker. He became a very personal villain. And some of the best Spider-Man villains, in my opinion, are personal villains. It was kind of a shame that they ended up killing off uh, Carrion, the first Carrion, because I really think that you could have, you could have done a, a mind a little bit more of the personal animosity between the two. 
The problem with Carrion is that in this particular appearance, he's so overpowered. Like he can't be touched because he's he's living decay, right? And that's probably the inherent problem with with Carrion is you give him the crimson dust, and on on one hand, it sits there and kills the Magia, but when he does it to Peter Parker, it only knocks him out. So there's very there's some inconsistencies with the with the with the power set. You know, he can levitate, he can teleport, he can. I mean, he, he does all sorts of stuff, and it's like it's it's kind of plot convenience. So while it's a good story and it's kind of a compelling story, and I think that the personal aspect of the story is good, and the artwork's good, I just I have to take it down a couple of notches because I think the character is is one of those. It's a little overpowered. Now, obviously, Peter defeats him, but it's really it's really by kind of sheer luck, and it's not because Peter actually used his wits to defeat him. It's more the Amoeba starts attacking attacking him, and, and it basically kills two birds with one stone. So, um, in in a way, it, it has that bit of irony, which I can appreciate. But like Peter's kind of you know it's very reactionary, and so that's why I, I just I don't rate this story as high as I would other stories. So I would give this a, a B minus C plus range. Uh, I think it's a, it's a very, it's a good story, not a great story. It's okay, but it's got some issues. Uh, then we get to Malcolm McBride. And um, like I explained, I explained a little bit with the, with the spectacular Spider-Man annual. It's all about trying to retcon the, character of Carrion, right? Because that's like it's like one of those things where like, what about Carrion? You know, people were probably writing in saying, hey, you know, my spectac I pulled out my spectacular Spider-Man collection and, you know, that doesn't that contradicts what you wrote what, what was written with by Bill by the Matt run. So Jerry Conway comes in and at this time he was writing uh, Web of Spider-Man and Spectacular Spider-Man. He was doing both titles concurrently. Um, which was probably the strongest that's that Web of Spider-Man ever was um, because you were able to kind of carry story storylines over. Um, I'll say this, it's a two-part story, we introduce it to Malcolm McBride, and Peter's kind of a dick to him, okay? Let's be, let's be honest, Malcolm McBride's not, a, not the nicest guy in the world, but he's kind of, Peter's kind of a jerk, right? So, you know, he, he, you know, he starts throwing barbs, calling him old man, and, 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 you know, Peter basically says, you know, I was living life while you were, you know, you know, wet behind the ears in high school, buddy. So, Peter goes and finds, to, to search through, um, and I forgot to mention, Miles Warren's lab gets burned down at the end of the carry, uh, of the original Carrion story. Um, so Peter goes down to the ruined lab, of, ESU lab, of Miles Warren, starts kind of looking, rummaging through, and underneath a, a piece of stone that uh, Peter you know, unearths using his spider sense, there's a journal. Now, there's also a vial. It comes in, becomes important later. This vial is, you know, is like Malcolm McBride follows Peter down to the lab, finds the vial, and starts studying. He's like, man, this is like unlike any virus I've ever seen. And basically, we get a little bit further into the uh, explanation in, in Jim Miles Warren's so-called journal that, you know, Joyce Delaney was kidnapped and then genetically altered to look like Gwen Stacy, and the memories were implanted to make her think she was Gwen Stacy, but and as a matter of fact, she was not. Day, uh, Dreamweaver then, uh, you know, basically makes her believe, or reopens her eyes and, and makes her remember her so-called past life. Now, as we get to the original Clone Saga, obviously all of this has been retconned and re and again in the original Clone, uh, in the 90s Clone Saga. But, so Peter's, like, kind of resentful. Well, then this Carrion character shows up. And the Car and Carrion does not possess, any of the, obviously, any of the memories of the previous Carrion. Because Peter's like, I know who you are, buddy. And, you know, in his mind, it's, it's basically encoded. The, it's not just a cloning process that was he was left in the cloning tube too long. No, it's actually a virus that was created to make to create Carrion. Now this creates a lot of story arc and storytelling that occurs. So Carrion, you know, Peter it, it ends up going to the graveyard where you know Gwen and Martha, 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 save Martha. I, I couldn't resist. Um, Martha and George and everybody, the entire Stacy clan are buried. 
So uh, we also see that Miles Miles Warren's dead now. This particular version of Carrion obviously does not know that Miles Warren's dead because remember, uh, I may I don't know if I mentioned this or not, but the lackey uh, that uh, the original Carrion had basically said, "Well, you're, he's like I'm the clone of Miles Warren, and I must find him." Well, guess what? You're not a you're 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 Miles Warren's dead, and so basically, you know. The way Carrion was portrayed before was that he's a failsafe. So, basically, Peter uses his knowledge of, of Carrion to his advantage. And in this case, Peter has an actual victory over Carrion, where he shows that Miles Warren is dead, his creator is dead, and it kind of kind of spooks spooks him long enough for Peter to you know knock him into ne- knock him into next week. So, he is defeated, and he is transported to the vault which leads us to his next appearance. Spectacular Spider-Man number uh, 162, 163. I'm covering these three together because I feel like they're kind of one story. So the Hobgoblin, who is possessed by a demon and has not been separated yet, uh, shows up and frees Carrion from his transportation, being transported to the vault. Basically, Hobgoblin convinces Carrion to fight Spider-Man, that he hates Spider-Man, and so does the Hobgoblin, so they should go after him together. Now, um, Hobgoblin reveals to him that his name is his name's Malcolm McBride, and he's starting to kind of get in a little confused. So he's trying to fight the fact that he had a life before Car- being Carrion, but he also hates Spider-Man, so he blames Spider-Man for taking stealing his life, even though Malcolm McBride's just a jackass and shouldn't have been de- was dealing with stuff that he had no business dealing with. But anyway, so we get you know, mile. Uh, basically, we get the we get Carrion and and uh, and Hobgoblin fighting with Peter Parker, and Carrion's kind of trying to uh, trying to figure out his life, and he also goes to try, try find his mom. Needless to say, it doesn't go well because his mom's spooked by the fact that this living corpse is like right in front of her window, so she's freaking out. Needless to say, Hobgoblin sits there and, and attacks Spider-Man from behind, drags him down in the sewer. So they're down in the sewer, and they've got Spider-Man, you know, kind of, kind of uh, chained up, like through some like sort of pla- ectoplasmum goop or something. And Hobgoblin's, you know, trying to go drum up support because look, Jason Philip Mackendale is a joke of a goblin, right? We all know that he sucks as a goblin. They had to like give him like demonic powers to make him some, you know, some sort of a threat. But at the end of the day, he really doesn't give a damn about anything other than the fact he's just trying to get his big score, right? So, you know, it's one of those things where <laughs> he's going to he's going to Hammerhead and Hammerhead doesn't want anything to do with him. Tombstones like, you know, keep out of our business, whatever, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So, Obviously, uh, it doesn't go well, but they still have Spider-Man, right? So, like, like Hobgoblin's trying to leverage his way into the good graces of the of the mobs uh, of the underworld by taking out Spider-Man. So, um, basically, Mary Jane shows up, you know, because Peter had been talking to Mary Jane about Malcolm McBride, kind of saying it's my fault, it's my fault, you know, because everything's Peter Parker's fault because it's all about guilt, and. You know, Mary Jane shows up to Mrs. McBride's house and tries to convince him that, hey, this is really your son, and he's been taken over by this virus. So we then uh, um, get this battle between Carrion and and Hobgoblin and Spider-Man, and they and and like Carrion then goes for to try to you know touch Mary Jane and and Mrs. McBride. And Peter saves them, right? Well, Hobgoblin throws a bomb, but Carrion, like, basically steps in front of it, and they both explode between that and a gas gas line, seemingly perishing at this point. Well, because they've perished, everybody assumes that this is the last we'll see of both the Hobgoblin and Malcolm McBride. Truth was, that was not the case. Um, Howard Mackey would bring back uh, the Hobgoblin, separate the two entities. So you had Demo Goblin and Jason Philip Mackendale Hobgoblin, and they're no longer—he's no longer a part of a demonic entity. So um, 
we wouldn't see Carrion again until <sighs> Maximum Carnage. Now, his next appearance was Maximum Carnage number two. I want, but we'll get to that in a second. I'm going to talk about the Spectacular Spider-Man stories with, dealing with Jerry Conway. So Jerry Conway is a very competent writer. Um, I enjoyed reading these issues. If you read these issues, there's little subplots, such as Nick Katzenberg taking pictures of Peter and Mary Jane in the skylight. Mary Jane's in, in, her, you know, in, a, in nothing but a shirt and some, and some panties. And it's a very sweet little picture, but also has the implication that, hey, your husband's Spider-Man, and I'm going to expose him because I'm, I'm a jerk, right? And has a great character moment with Mary Jane where she clocks him into next week, which is just awesome. Um, you also get Mary Jane confronting Thomas Fireheart and saying, look, you owe my husband. You've tried to do all this. This is the time when Thomas Fireheart had bought the Bugle, trying to restore the reputation of Peter Parker through the Daily Bugle and Spider-Man's because he feels like he has this oath that he owes to him. It's an interesting story arc, an interesting dynamic. Um... Salby Sima does the artwork for all three of these issues, and Salby Sima is just phenomenal. One of the best Spider-Man artists of all time. We talked about him extensively here on Clone Saga Chronicles. We ended up talking about the end of his career um, on Clone Saga Chronicles. So it's one of those things where I, I this is like not quite peak Buscema, like JMD Mateus, but this was like the run right before D. Mateus would take over Spider-Man. And I can see why Conway left Spider-Man after this for a long time because he was writing two books. I mean, he was handling double duty. That can burn anybody out. But he did a lot of good work here. Um, I get why he wanted to retcon the Carrion stuff and make it into a virus, but this creates a huge issue during the Clone Saga because suddenly now Jackal isn't just making clones. Now he's making viruses. So this makes it like 10 times worse. Uh, this also inadvertently sets up the uh, maximum clonage event where they're trying to use the, the carrion virus as a means to like disperse and kill everybody that's not a clone. Uh, it's kind of, yeah, it's kind of interesting. Um, obviously, I was forced to read uh, Maximum Carnage again, and uh, my, my eyes and nose and ears started to bleed, so we'll get into that, but I'll give my grade on this. Because of Sabi Slim's strong storytelling and artwork, I, I, I just like it better than Jim Mooney's. Um, it's just a personal preference and a personal taste. Uh, Conway's sub-arcs were a little better, and I cared about them a little more because they involve characters I actually like, Thomas Fireheart and, and Mary Jane, as opposed to, like, I don't care about, you know, um, the White Tiger, uh, which was a... But he was a big part of like the early days of Spectacular Spider-Man. Um, so, needless to say, of this particular story, I, I give it a I give it a hard B minus. I'm not gonna get, uh, no. Actually, I'm gonna give it a B, straight B. So it's really interesting that we get the original uh, Carrion story issues uh, 25 through 31. 149, 62, and 63. So that's basically all the appearances of Carrion up until Maximum clone, uh, maximum Carnage. So what does he do in Maximum Carnage? Absolutely nothing. Okay? He makes an appearance in, in Spectacular 201, and he's, which is Part 5, and he's in really through, uh, as a background character, through, you know, like, uh, like uh, Spectacular 203. So he's in, like, he's in the, he's in, he wasn't in the first, like, five parts is when he first makes the appearance. He doesn't do anything for like seven. Like he didn't really join the team, so to speak, until part seven. Um, so halfway through the story arc, we're halfway through, you know, the two or a month and a half in and a three month long story arc. And he shows up. Um, great art by Mark Bagley. Great art. Not, it's great art by Mark Bagley. Okay. Art by Alex Savick. You could tell he was just not feeling this story arc. When you when you look at his at his artwork, um, it, it, you know Tom Lyle did an admirable job, but he's just not as good, not nearly as strong as Bagley and, and Buscema were at this point. Uh, I would give his basically he doesn't do much, so I give it a D. Basically, his big story arc is that he's trying to find a family, and they have this this like Manson family type dynamic with Carnage and Shriek. Now. 
the relationship between Carnage and Shriek would be important. But at the end of the story, they get they they get zapped by a good bomb. Let me repeat that. They get zapped by a good bomb, quote unquote. That's literally taken from the book, right? Deathlock comes in and he has this big giant Kirby-esque machinery and they and they zap him with goodness. Shriek is trying to find her redemption. Um, Malcolm McBride, the, the carrion virus, this good bomb basically strips the virus out of him. And so that's what ends up happening. So basically he joins the carnage, the carnage crazies and by the end of it, he's no longer carrion. All right, so this leads us to our next appearance of Malcolm McBride. Malcolm McBride is a character that obviously is Carrion, the second Carrion, but this is a story that's written by J.M.D. Mateus, art by Mark Bagley. It is a shrieking part one through four, ASM 390 through 393. So that's four issues. All right, so I'm going to be the same creative team throughout all of this, so I'm not going to mention it again. All right, so... Starts with Malcolm McBride. We're going to focus on the Malcolm McBride stuff, and I'll talk a little bit about like the Aunt May stuff as well. Malcolm McBride uh, is at Ravencroft. He's having trouble sleeping. He's, he keeps having the same nightmare that he sees all these corpses that he of people that he murdered as Carrion when he was on his madness spree with Maximum Carnage. Uh, Ashley Kafka is trying to appeal to the fact that this guy is a good guy. He's a good kid. He's he's nothing really nothing like the arrogant jerk that we saw with the first appearance with Malcolm McBride. Basically, he's been broken, right? So, uh, you know, the relationship with his mom and, and everything like that that we've seen throughout the other appearances, you know, tend to you know tend to say that he was a good kid, right? He just got he's just got a little too arrogant, right? So. At, at one point, <laughs> Kafka decides to show him Shriek, and when Shriek sees Malcolm McBride, she busts him out of Ravencroft Institute, and then, you know, they proceed. She proceeds to kidnap him and like put freaking Kafka into the hospital. Well, um, you know, basically, uh, you know, she goes home, quote unquote, and then attacks her, her f- mother and father. Um, there was some there was some abuse that was done, um, you know, and, and basically, you know, uh, <laughs> McBride's like, I don't want to be carrying. You know, I had a mother and a father, and and then she's, you know, she you're dealing with a crazy person. She's like, I you I am your mother, you know, and so, you know, basically, McBride's like, just let me leave me alone, let me be, let me be with my actual family, and and Spider Man intervenes. They start to fight, and, um, like, basically, she starts to draw from his subconscious the Carrion part of him. And then Carrion shows up and starts to attack. And then the end of that, the, of issue 391, is Aunt May having the stroke, right? Which leads to the Clone Saga, obviously. So, we then get to Shrieking Part 3, where, you know... Sh- Carrion's attacking, and basically, you know, uh, Shriek is like, no, don't be attacking him. I'm going to draw the depths of his soul out, and I'm going to make him you know, make the darkness come out, and he's going to become our father. She then goes and goes shopping for him, so they get their new outfits. And basically, you know, Carrion, you know, as Carrion, you know, he starts getting more and more confused, right? Because that's, you know, kind of Carrion's M.O. There's still that part of Malcolm McBride that wants to push out. So... Uh, they go to McBride, the McBride household in, in Astoria, and, you know, basically, Shriek's plan is for him to kill uh, Mrs. McBride. And the issue ends, at one point, Peter decides to go into his cocoon and become, I am the spider. And so basically, he then shows up at the end of that issue, issue 392. We go to 393, which is the finale of Shrieking, and we get a little brief glimpse of uh, uh, a person that may or... Oh, well, it is, well, we'll say who it is. It's, it's Ben Riley, showing up at Gwen's grave, leaving, leaving a rose. So basically, you know, um, Shriek mistakens uh, Peter's appearance for <laughs> love, and they begin to fight. And so Malcolm is really torn between... The two uh, between his is his actual mother and the shriek and the carrion's so-called mother and Peter beats the living crap out of freaking carrion right, 
He, you know, and, and uh, B, you know, B McBride is like, please, you know, say, don't, don't, don't kill him, basically. And so, you know, it comes to this climactic point where B, you know, reaches her hand out and, and, and so does Shriek. And so you got Carrion torn in the middle. And so Carrion does the only thing Carrion knows to do. And he's turning the Carrion power against himself. And uh, so she tries to, B McBride tries to go stop him. And, and like, Shriek is like, D- you'll die. If you touch his hands, you'll die. And so Shriek, like, pulls her back. And it, begu- it begins to show that Sh- Shriek, that he, sh- that she actually is his mom and, and that she loves him, you know. And she's like, how can I hate him when you love him so much? But, you know, Carrie, uh, Shriek's like, I love him too. And so then she uh, decides to do, to make this sacrifice and absorb the Carrion virus from Carrion and basically takes away the virus from Malcolm McBride and cures Malcolm McBride, you know. In doing so, it nearly kills her, right? So Peter then takes her to the hospital. We then get an interlude at Midtown High with the senior class ring and, you know, don't get a look on the face. So Peter then, you know, takes her to the ER and, you know, starts taking this first steps towards sanity. And we then get back. Peter, you know, obviously throughout this has learned that, that Aunt May has had the stroke. He's, you know, turning inward on himself. And Mary Jane is deciding to leave town. Um... But we only read the first half of the letter. We don't read the second half, which we'll read later. So that leads us directly into power and responsibility uh, a couple issues later. So we then get two we- two issues of I Am the Spider. And we quickly get over that line of bull stuff. As a story arc, very dramatic. It's dealing with a lot of the events that happened before. Peter just lost his parents. Peter's dealing with the fact that Harry managed to one-up him from the grave again. And Peter's having a very, very difficult time. He just he just got his parents back, and then he loses them all over again. And, you know, May, throughout all of this, her characterization is uh, the position of strength. And this is why I always have felt like that the, the bit with the genetically altered actress bit was just asinine. Because I'll tell you right now, you look at, you read these issues with Aunt May... And Aunt May is being, she is, she is the strongest woman that you can possibly have. She, she were, you know, in a lot of ways, this version of Aunt May reminds me of my grandma. You know, my grandmother, uh, I'm getting a little personal here, but my grandmother, you know, at one point lost, within a four-year period, lost her mother and father and her, and her husband. She took care of all of them at various points. And she was a caretaker, and it took a lot of strength and, you know, you see that with, with uh, you know, specific generations where they just give out, right? Their heart starts to give out. And she has, and so Aunt May has the stroke. And at one point, like, she, Aunt May is trying to act like everything's fine. And, like, Mary Jane is not having it. She is, like, teed off because Peter is just withdrawing in himself. And, you know, in, in some ways, this I am the spider bit, yes, is it, is it good storytelling for Spider-Man? No, but it makes psychological sense when you look at what had happened to Peter Parker at this point. So that's kind of the subplots. That's the, those are the B and C plots. The A plot with Shriek, uh, look, is it J.M.D. Mateus? Yes. Is it is it J.M.D. Mateus psychobabble? Yes. I understand why people don't like it. I understand why people like J.R., our esteemed guest from last episode, didn't like this particular type of, of storytelling. But it's good. It's got great artwork. I mean, Mark Bagley is great. Sal Buscema is great. Jim Mooney's not a bad artist. He's just the least... To me, he's, he's, he's much lower on the totem pole than these two guys. So you have A-plus artists on both these, all the Malcolm McBride stories. And yes, uh, you know, I'll, I'll include you know, uh, those guys who obviously did work on, on the Maximum Carnage event. But look, Carrion was just a B-character. B-char- B he was just a stock character that was trying to find a family, and they took that same storyline in with Shriek. I, I enjoyed it. It's, it's not a bad story. I actually like the little the redesign of, 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 uh, of Carrion. I think it's a, kind of a sleek design. I think Shriek's a compelling character. She's, to me, one of the characters that I feel like needs to have a Marvel Legends created about her. And I, I, you know, I would not oppose to be seeing that character and see more of her. I, uh, obviously, this gets into the fact that she has the Carrion virus. And at one point, she's, she's kind of 
saying she's pregnant. She's always searching for family, right? So Jackal kind of extracts the virus from her, and then we don't see much of her later on. Um, that in turn turns into, obviously, the uh, carrion bomb, which is maximum clonage. So does it lead to great stuff? No, it doesn't. But Malcolm McBride was cured of his carrion virus stuff. Uh, yes, he makes a brief appearance in uh, during the uh, uh, trial of Peter Parker storyline, where Judas Traveler, you know, basically uses him as another exhibit as to you know the humanity of it all. But carrion is is pretty much no more until the end of the, uh, post Clone Saga. All right, so Spider-Man: Dead Man's Hand was a one-shot that was released four months after the end of the Clone Saga. So. Uh, Agile the Spider-Man was cover dated December 1997, came out in October of that year, and uh, Dead Man's Hand came out cover date April, which was around January, February of the following year. So basically we have um, a shield bio, emergency biohazard facility in Bethesda, Maryland, and this basically... Um, Dr. Allen gets engulfed by this stuff, and, and so basically... It, becomes the aces and eights aces and eights which is nothing to do with the wrestling faction <laughs> chapter one and we get the uh recap of spider-man it's all uh, written by uh p uh not peter david uh roger stern is the does the plot uh joe Ed, edkin is that does the script never heard of joe edkin Derek robinson and uh dan lulls is the, are the pencilers keith allen's the anchor uh, and um Glenn Greenberg was the assistant editor. Tom Brevoort was the editor, so that's a good friend of ours. So Dead Man's Hand is a one-shot that obviously came out. And basically, it's, uh, you know, Peter's kind of going through his to-be or not-to-be uh, with the rather uh, <clears throat> skintastic uh, bit with Mary Jane putting a towel on uh, as she's coming out of the shower, which I'll never complain about. Anyway, Peter then uh, changes into Spider-Man. He starts hearing something about carrion. And uh, it leads to, it's all broken up in chapters. So a chap, that chapter one's Aces and Eights. Chapter two is Zombies on Broadway. And so this uh, version of Carrion basically starts fighting. And, and there's like these two caption boxes where, you know, um, basically uh, he's got these zombies under control. You know, got to get out these people zombified, which is a new trick. And, you know. Uh, you got this, you know, this this other caption box. It's like a different font and everything like that. And it's like, it's the voice in his head. So then he teleports away. The zombies are still going after it. And he kind of contains the zombies. And, and Spider-Man, like, swings through. Calvary's arrived. And they, they've dropped some gas grenades. And so Peter then, you know, sh jumps up into the shield helicopter when he meets up with Dum-Dum uh, Dugan. And, um... You know, Dum Dum's like, I really shouldn't be giving you talking about this, given you don't have a security clearance. But you're the only person that's faced all three carrions. You might be able to help us. So the zombie plague is something that's new. It appears to be fatal, but it's like one of those things. So, uh, you know, basically, Peter's like, y y why was he studying freaking the jackal's corpse? Because remember, the jackal was killed at the end of Maximum Clonage. Uh, the only conclusive clue is something about aces and eights, and all of a sudden, the terrible tinkerer shows up, and, um, uh, so, he then, uh, you know, asks what his stake is, and one, and apparently Tinkerer's son was involved, and then we go to Wondergore Mountain, because anytime you want to have a great Spider-Man story, we go to Wondergore Mountain, right? So... High Evolutionary shows up and basically says, you know, he, he, he's, you know, basically kind of calling the High Evolutionary out. He's like, dude, you are partially responsible for this. Like, seriously. And, like, freaking High Evolutionary's like, you know, uh, be gone. I, I don't have time for this. I'm too busy becoming a bad C-list villain. So he teleports him back to, uh, back to MJ's apartment. We get then get uh, Warren's other notes and... Lo and behold, he goes back through the teleportation device that the Tinker has come up with and uh, basically gives him Jackal's notes, says, take it to S.H.I.E.L.D., go from there. So then we get the zombie plague at, uh, you know, um, the Empire State Building, and at one point he, he does the whole find me if you can, 
No, you must kill Spider-Man. You must avenge the death of Gwen Stacy. This is my... So basically, this is more in the vein of of the original Carrion. And at one point... Um, so at one point, basically... Uh, Miles Warren shows up in the in the guise of, of Dr. Allen. So, basically, Carrion uh, slash Miles Warren says, You see, the first Carrion you face was a clone of me, created to become a living corpse and incubate for five years, so that its cells would carry within them virus I tended to use to destroy mankind. But that clone was released too soon, and you destroyed it just as you destroyed Twin Stacy. Now it's my turn to kill you! So he webs up his hands, and, and so fighting, and all this stuff. And the two keep fighting. At one point, Peter knocks him, hits him so hard, he knocks a tooth out. And takes uh, Dr. Allen to S.H.I.E.L.D. S.H.I.E.L.D. puts him in a biohazard container, and Dr. Wyndham shows up from the Center for Disease Control. Aces and eights. The cards that Wild Bill Hickok was holding when he was shot in the back. The dead man's hand. So, um, that's, uh, basically it was a radical mutation of the first and eighth chromosome of the human genome. It told us where to look for the key to curing his zombie plague. Um, and basically explains why the car- this version of Carrion did not know that Peter Parker was Spider-Man. Now, at this point, we then are revealed that it's the High Evolutionary... As, um, you know, the person that did it. And so, uh, <laughs> basically, Peter's speech to him saying he does bear some responsibility for righting the wrong. Um, you know, and uh, his genetic structure differs significantly from Malcolm McBride's. His personality is also far stronger. That's why Warren's genetic programming was not able to control him completely. Here's Warren's journal. He expunged from it the pages all formula... Uh, it's pages all formula which might prove too dangerous or too tempting for S.H.I.E.L.D. to have, though I left enough, just enough information to perhaps uh, develop a cure for carrying it himself. So, um, basically explains that, yes, the original Carrion was, in fact, the, a clone. So, basically, it reneges on on uh, the attempts by... Uh, by Gary Conway to, to retcon his own story. So... Yes, the original Carrion was a, a clone. Uh, Malcolm McBride it, it did create a virus. So basically, it kind of ties everything together. So when you read all of this, when you read the original Clone Saga trade, and then you read uh, the end of the Clone Saga, that's why it includes this story. So it's the, this is the only appearance of Dr. Allen, which leads us to the Superior Spider-Man era. Where Spear Spider-Man team up basically number one shows that uh, Jackal is trying to create these meta, uh, genetic mutations, trying to create a and he actually creates a sentient version of the Jackal virus, which you know, basically Carrion is subservient to the Jackal and leads everything up to the sibling rivalry story arc. Um, not much to say about that particular character, but I just wanted to mention him here. So, uh, Dead Man's Hand. What's my thoughts on it? Uh, I don't remember what I gave the grade on before, so I'm just kind of judging it off this. I love Derek Robinson's art. Derek Robinson is probably one of my favorite unsung uh, artists of Spider-Man that, I, that I've seen. Uh, this was his first time drawing the original costume that wasn't like a flashback, and I really, really enjoyed it. I, I, look, any, pretty much anything Roger Stern writes is going to be incredibly competent, and it's really just a good, solid story. And it actually brings in... It actually is my favorite high evolutionary appearance, uh, interestingly enough. So, despite the fact that it's dealing with Carrion, despite the fact that it's dealing with the high of a freaking lucianary that I just, you know, everybody knows I, I don't like that character, um, I really like this storytelling. I, I, I liked how they, they threw in like some of the very classic villains in the, in the flashback sequence where you saw Scorcher from Untold Tales of Spider-Man with the, with the, with the chameleon and terrible tinkerer. And oh, how's that for foreshadowing and Sandman and Doc Ock and Vulture. Also, you know, you got the Jackal and the green goblin and, and Carrion. So it's kind of cool. Uh, it's a, it's a really like, if this is your first time reading Spider-Man, it's a very continuity heavy story, but it doesn't feel continuity heavy. So I'm going to give this an A minus. 
It has great artwork, great storytelling, great just overall work, and it's an entertaining one-shot. So Dead Man's Hand gets an A- for me. Um, all right, so we've given... We've, we've gone over... So I'm going to kind of recap what we've done. So we've done um, the original Carrion story, which is a, a, a Spectacular Spider-Man 25... Uh, Peter Parker, the Spectacular Spider-Man 25 through 31. Uh, Spectacular Spider-Man number 149, 162 to 163, covered Shrieking and covered Dead Man's Hand. Um, and a little bit of Maximum Carnage as well. So I think I've covered darn near every appearance by the the carrion character and we've seen how it's evolved from a character to a virus this storyline makes it more palpable um by making it a virus it kind of didn't and the way they wrote it doesn't necessarily contradict what came before it so i i gotta give them credit there's a lot of twist in terms of this story there's a lot of twist in terms of this character um it's a it's a character that should have a personal connection with Spider-Man uh, because of the nature of it being with Miles Warren. But uh, obviously, it was entertaining enough with Dead Man's Hand that you could see that it wasn't a necessarily a a bad thing that he didn't realize Peter Parker was Spider-Man. But we also had the, the brief appearance by a reanimated Miles Warren. So why the you know we never got the explanation as to why. Um, they were experimenting on, on Miles' corpse, but who knows. And at this point, Miles Warren was pretty well dead. So uh, it kind of also tied up the loose end of, of Miles' Warren's corpse and stuff like that. So uh, overall, it's an enjoyable story. It was kind of, it, it could have been better, um, but, you know, again, a lot of exposition. If you've read the Clone Saga, you you understand this story. I understood this story. I understood it even when I didn't hadn't read all the parts of the Clone Saga. Um, but when I read all of the Clone Saga, I understood this story more, and I think I grew to appreciate it even more than than I did before. So I, I again, I like this story. I, I like you know reading these stories, um, and reading outside of the Maximum Carnage stuff. I enjoyed most of the most of the carrion stuff, so I, I got to give it a lot of credit. Um, I am, like I say, this character and this virus and everything like that, it, it, it becomes a plot point. But it really, I mean, it's not. It's not. It's good use of continuity. This is how writers can build off of stuff that came before. So I, I'm enjoying that with the with the current Spencer run as the, this recording. Um, and I'm I'm enjoying that overall. So I'm I'm really excited about about having covered this. I felt like this was kind of like one of the one of the big things uh, that we have not covered. Um, in terms of the future. So obviously I'm releasing this on October first because it's the anniver the tenth anniversary of our show. Um, so I feel like I've got to acknowledge some stuff. We've covered everything we can cover on the 90s stuff, except for one issue, which is the 101 Ways in, in the Clone Saga. That's the only issue we've not covered uh, that's in the Clone Saga traits. I've covered now everything extensively. Uh, we've covered a lot of the stuff that was in the, uh, the original Clone Saga trade, but we mainly focused on ASM 149 and, and 150 and stuff like that. Um, it's, a, it's a situation for me that I'm, I'm kind of like, do we go back and we cover that original stuff? Or do we cover the, you know, cover the, or, you know, do we do me and Josh and everybody go back and kind of redo Clone Genesis or not? So that's been kind of, that's kind of the debate between me and the guys right now. Uh, there, there is one other episode I do want to do before the end of the show, which is um, DC versus Marvel. Talk about a, a little bit about that event that went on during the Clone Saga with uh, an esteemed guest whose name I don't want to give away yet. But uh, let's just say he he was once known as the hardest working man in podcasting. So um, longtime fans will get that reference. But uh, hopefully we can get that uh, arranged and everything like that. I've been working on that for a little while. Uh, obviously, I would love to do some interviews between now and the end of the show. Um, my goal really is to get a little, a few more episodes in. Um, obviously, this is seventy three. You know. And we would try to end this around, you know, 77, 78 episodes. Um, I've got plans for what I want to do next. I don't want to reveal them yet. We've kind of hinted at them 
later on uh, if you go back and listen to the, some of the old episodes you kind of kind of know what we would want to do but uh, I would want to kind of do things a little differently I don't want to take 10 years to cover two years worth of storyline uh, obviously there was a lot more side quests on that particular front but um, you know just seeing how far we've come and I kind of got a little bit of introspective last episode and I, I got I got a feeling until I end the show I'm gonna be introspective but it's really kind of cool to see how the show's evolved, how the show's changed, how the show has grown over these last few years, and um, how we've grown as people. I, you know, I've gotten to know Gerard even more over the last, you know, couple of years because I, you know, get and I got to know Josh and Don through my time, uh, spending time with them in San Diego, and so, you know, uh, we've got a lot of we got a lot of big plans, and I think we got, life just kind of got in the way. Uh, for me, I know it got in the way, and I, I kind of wanted to get this done. And I was thinking about, I was like, man, we're getting close to the to the anniversary of the show, and and I wanted to kind of give something back to you guys. So I hope you enjoyed this episode. Um, if you've submitted some some like emails and voicemails, fret not, we have gotten them, but I just haven't had oh, haven't had the guys together to kind of react to all that. I, I didn't I didn't want it to to take too more too much more time of the of the revelations look back. I wanted to kind of just, you know, focus on those stories with those particular episodes and not bog it down with other stuff. So um, stay tuned to Spidey-U.com for more. We'll have hopefully have to get some more Mayday Mondays done. We'll get some more Spectacular Radio done, and we'll go from there. So I hope you enjoyed this episode. I, I enjoyed making it. it. You know, it was a fun afternoon for me to go back and read some old comics. And so... Uh, I hope and trust that you will uh, check us out. Be sure to check out our other shows on the Spidey Dude Radio Network, Spectacular Radio and Mayday Mondays, if you haven't already. And be sure to like, share, and leave us a five-star review, and leave us a review on iTunes. It doesn't matter if you're not in the United States. Uh, I'm looking at ways to try to get all of our uh, all of our iTunes reviews to be able to read all of them, because I may have missed some. And if you uh, if you like the show, of course, you know, like, share, subscribe. Uh, but also... Be sure to like our Facebook page at Spy Dude Radio Network. Be sure to like uh, our Twitter handle. It used to be at Clone Soccer Crony, but it is at S Dude Podcasts. Um, like us on Twitter. Follow us on Facebook. And we'll see you next time. Be sure to leave us a voicemail, of course, 818-925-6631 or an email, clonesoccerchronicles at gmail.com. Once again, appreciate it. I'm Zach Joyner, the webmaster for Spy-Dude.com, and we'll see you next time here on Clone Soccer Chronicles, the podcast, powered by Spy-Dude.com and the Spy Dude Radio Network.